Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to uh, John chapter 15. And uh, this is a series that, that I've been kind of growing in, in angst for um, and have been excited for us to, to dive into for several reasons. Um, and those reasons I'm going to give to you by asking a question to you. And I want you to respond with raising your hand in the air. So this is some little bit of participation on your end. Um, but let me ask you this question. How many of you, by a show of hands, want to spend more time with Jesus? Okay. How many of you, by a show of hands, feel as though your time spent with Jesus um, is lacking due to busyness or distractions? That's why we're doing this series. That's why we're doing this series, because the reality is, is how many of you in your busyness and distractions, even though some of it can be Sacrifice. Some of it can be taken away. Some of it can be managed a little bit better. But the reality is, how many of you can can actually do away with the busyness and distractions? Maybe a couple. Maybe you heard me wrong. The rea- the reality is, no, we're going to be busy, right? Like every single one of us are busy. There, there's not much we can do about the busyness of our lives. There's things that we can sacrifice, yes. But the reality is, is the more we get older, the busier things get. Even though you can think back in college and you can think back on times when you had like papers due or for some of you I know are in grad school right now like you've got papers that are due and you're just thinking in your head if I can just get through this if I can just graduate out of this and move into the next phase things will get better I'll have more time but when has that ever proven to be true like when has the next step ever proven to be easier on us, whether it's our time, our resources, the way we manage our lives, etc. It never is. It's always busier. Because once you graduate college, you move into a career. There's always the learning curve with the career, so you're having to invest more time into it. And then as soon as you learn what it is, usually you either get promoted to another position or not necessarily promoted, but then they just throw something else on you. And so now you're managing a couple of things or then you get married and now not only are you just managing a career and a job, but also you're managing a relationship. And then moving in that relationship, if if it's usually a healthy one, it produces fruit and then you have offspring. And then all of a sudden that throws in a whole nother mix to it. And so this is every single one of us. I mean, I can think about this like like sometimes people look at, at a pastor and say, well, you have all the time in the world because you get to just make your own schedule you get to blah 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 like well here was my schedule on friday i woke up at 5 30 in the morning not because i enjoy waking up at 5 30 in the morning uh, but because i have to on fridays because i have a group that i meet with um, at 6 30 and so i left the house about six o'clock go and meet with the guys at 6 30 and we do some discipleship for about an hour so at 7 30 i leave from the coffee shop and i head to nora elementary school to drop off some teacher appreciation gifts um, after spending a little bit of time with the teachers there then i leave from the school and i go directly to a nine o'clock meeting um, with uh, with a business owner to kind of give me some advice on, on, on certain things that are going on and um, meet with him from 9 to, to 10.30 or no, 9 to 10 o'clock. When I leave there at 10 o'clock, I have to race home really quick and pick Kelsey up and then make our way downtown. And once we get downtown, we go through counseling session from 10.30 to 11.30. We leave at 11.30. We come back, grab lunch, eat lunch. And then when I get done with lunch, I then head out to a 1 o'clock meeting with one of my coach and mentors that's here in the city meet with him from 1 to 2 30 and then at 2 30 i finally get to dive into what i like to enjoy doing which is sermon prep and so i get to jump in from 2 30 to 3 30 work on sermon prep which is really just kind of editing and hope it turns out okay uh, and then from there at 3 30 start heading back home to relieve kelsey from the little anarchist that's in our house And so like when I get home, I don't get to just get home and jump on the couch and say, I'm going to unplug and not do anything. No, it's now job two for me. It's now you have to be a dad. You have to be a father. You have to be a husband. You have to you have to invest in the home as well. And so when I get home, then it moves into that. And 
if I'm not careful, what happens in that type of busyness is I begin to manage, just like I manage that entire calendar, I begin to manage my relationship with God just like I manage all those things. I begin to add it on rather than it being the defining relationship in my life. I begin to try to, hey God, I'm going to give you three o'clock today. Or hey God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you uh, five o'clock in the morning for a couple of hours. That's not me, maybe that's you. Mine's a little bit later than that. But, but I begin to try to manage my relationship with God just like I try to manage the busyness of my life. And the reality is, is, um, is what that reveals is not that we're having God be the defining relationship of all of the things in our life, but rather we become our own God and try to manage our lives as if we are God despite the fact that there's a ton of objective evidence that we're terrible gods, right? Like this week, in the people that you've interacted with, if you were God, how many people would be dead right now? Just driving down the road, people just ticking you off, and you're dead, dead. I don't like the way you're driving, dead. You're in a Ford, dead. Like we, that's just the way we think. That's the way we process. Walking through the mall, seeing people that externally look different than us. How many of us judging them is casting death on them, essentially? This is the way we operate. So we're terrible gods. But yet we jump into wanting to manage our lives as if we are the say, like the, the end all say all of how we operate. And the reality is this is, this is very damaging to, to us. This is us trying to manage our relationship with God as if we are God, as if we're telling him when we're going to do that and how much time he gets rather than tapping into him like... like how he designed it to work, it rather is going to lead us into destruction. It's going to lead us into begrudging submission. It's going to lead us into uh, having a relationship with God like trying to budget our finances each month. It's not fun, right? We don't enjoy it. But yet this is what we do. This is what our natural bent is to do. And this is why we're having this series is because we want to lead you, we want to show you what it means to, to and again, I'm, I'm in this with you guys, all right? Prepping this message, prep, prepping this series, looking at what it means to abide in Christ as Christ is in, abiding in us um, is something that is beginning to revolutionize my relationship with Him. Not saying it's perfect, it's just changing it. It's transforming it. It's, it's leading me into a greater freedom with my relationship rather than a, did you check off everything that you needed to check off as a good pastor? Did you check off everything you needed to check off in order to be a good Christian? Did you pray enough this week? Did you evangelize enough this week? Did you read and study the Bible enough this week that wasn't sermon prep, but was just out of the overflow of wanting to know Christ more intimately? So, like, I can play the game with you guys. I'm right there with you in this of knowing what it feels like to be in bondage to wanting to do Christianity rather than being a child of the Father and being able to enjoy all that He provides for us on a daily, hourly basis. So that's why we're jumping into this. You got your Bibles there? John chapter 15. We're literally going to sit in John 15. Well, that's a lie. Because today I'm going to be in John 14. But that's just context. John 15, we're going to sit in it for about three months. May, June, and July. We're going to sit in this one chapter because we value that much this relationship with Christ. We don't want to just throw one sermon at it and say, yeah, guys, now go and abide in Christ. Because the reality is when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to us as believers in Jesus Christ, this is the number one thing that we struggle with. It's not how much we struggle with sin. It's not how better can we worship God externally. But just coming to the Lord hourly, daily, weekly, 
annually and just abiding and resting in the relationship that he has established for us to walk in. Guys, that's what we struggle with the most as believers. That's what we struggle with the most. That's why we want to invest in this so much. And one thing I want to challenge you to do as well is I'm going to challenge you to memorize John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. So over the, you got three months. Over these three months, I'm going to challenge you to memorize John 15, verses 1 through 17, because those are the ones that we're going to cover. We're going to be hitting about a verse to two verses each week, starting next week. Um, and I want you to memorize it. But the way that we're going to start doing that is each sermon from here on out, together as a church, we're going to read John 15, 1 through 17. Because repetition, 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 that's the way that I memorize. I'm not, I'm not a, a good at memorizing like flashcards where I've got John 15, 1, and then I move it to the back. John 15, 2, then I move it to the back. Like, that's not the way. Like for me, it's I've got to become engrossed in it and familiar with it. Like I'm reading a story, and the more I get to know the story, then I'm able to remember details about the story, and then I'm able to put those details in order. And then all of a sudden, I've got the whole 17 verses memorized. So we're going to get familiar with it. So John 15, 1 through 17, I'm going to be reading it from the ESV version um, since we're going to be reading it together. Um, that way it, we're not all over the map um, and how this sounds as we read it together. But I believe, is it going to be up on the screen too? John 15, 1 through 17? Perfect. All right, guys. Don't start strong and drop off. Hang in there with me the whole way, okay? Even if I drop out, I just want to hear your voices, all right? John 15, picking it up in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. Father, we thank you so much for just the reading of your word and having access to see um, the truths that are in you and that come from you and that you are using to invest in us, to place within our hearts and our minds uh, so that we may see you, so that, so that you are revealed to us. And in that, we begin to treasure you. We begin to love you and have affections that grow for you. And in those affections, not only does, does it grow our love for you, but it also transforms us. It allows us to be able to see the sin that is in our hearts. It allows us to be able to see the sin that is in our minds. And Lord, ultimately, we're able to bring those sins to you. 
were able to come to you and say, Father, here's where I have messed up. And because of your word, because of you abiding in us, we know that you forgive us. And we know that you transform us, that you conform us more and more to your son, Jesus. So Father, it's in his name that we pray. Amen. So that's our passage that we're going to sit down or sit in for the next three months. And today what I'm going to do for you is actually lay the foundation for how we're able to frame this up. So if we were to look at the idea of abiding as a house, and so we're living in this house with Jesus, what we're going to be looking at today is the actual foundation that has to happen in order for abiding to work in order for us to actually live in this relationship with Jesus. And so this foundation has three legs. And so you can kind of think of it like a tripod. All three of these legs have to happen in order for abiding to happen. And so the first leg is Jesus Christ himself. That's the first leg. That's what we're going to talk about. Jesus Christ himself. So you're in John 15. Just move back into John 14, and I'm going to look at verses 1 through 6 as the first leg being Jesus himself. This first leg begins with Thomas um, kind of doubting and asking a question after Jesus says this in John 14, picking it up in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? So Jesus here is just talking about a place that we are eventually going to go to. And in this place, we're going to dwell. We're going to reside. uh, We're ultimately going to live in it. And he goes on to say, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, uh, that where I am you may also be. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus here says, I'm going to take you to a place where you're going to dwell, and this place has many rooms. And so if I'm thinking about Jesus preparing a place for me, for for some of you reading that, you might start thinking like Holiday Inn, if you have low expectations of what heaven's going to be like, or you might move into like Disney Resort, or you might like, I'm thinking Opryland Hotel, if you've ever been to Nashville. This is a gorgeous hotel that is like a biodome structure with like rivers and, and like tropical forests throughout it. And it's got its own like little Italian city within the city of, of it's, it's amazing. Anyways, um, like that's kind of what I'm thinking, this sort of oasis of paradise with all these separate rooms. But the reality is that's not what he's actually talking about here. He's not talking about us getting to a place in which he's provided rooms in which you just kind of take your little room key and you go and you just be by yourself for a while. Like this isn't a place where you can go and kind of hang the do not disturb sign on the outside of the door. But rather the, the, the term rooms can actually be translated in the Greek to being abodes, which comes from the verb to abide. So this is a relationship that he is talking about. This is a place in which we are going that, yes, is a physical place, but is also a state of being. This is a place in which we are going to dwell with Jesus, but we are also going to indwell in Jesus. So this is a mutual indwelling of us in Christ and Christ in us. And Jesus is telling the disciples that I'm going to prepare this for you, that I'm going to prepare a relationship in which you are going to be in me and I'm going to be in you. And we're going to mutually indwell one another. And so after Jesus says this, Thomas asks him in John 14, verse 5, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And what Thomas is asking in that question is, Jesus, if you're going to prepare a place for us to reside, for us to dwell in, and that place is going to be where you are, but not only is that a place where you are, but it is a place that you are and that I get to be in, how do we get there then? How do we dwell in this place? And what I can see in this, Thomas's hope for the question is, I desire to be with you. And so how do I get there? It reminds me of what 
David says in Psalm 27, 4, when he says, One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. David is, is longing to dwell with God, but what it means for him to dwell with God is to, um, is to view God, is to see God, is to, to long after and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So David wanting to inquire in the temple meant that he wanted to be with God and have God be with him. This is the same thing that Thomas is asking. How then can we get to this place that's going to be a union between us? And we see how Jesus answers it in John 14, 6 as the first leg that has to happen within this tripod. He says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one can dwell, no one can reside, no one can abide in the Lord with the Father except through abiding in Jesus himself. Jesus is the first answer. This is both an inclusivism and an exclusivism. This is an inclusivism that, hey, anybody can come and be a part of dwelling with the Father. But the only way that you can come and be a part of the Father is if it's exclusively through Jesus himself. This is one of the statements that Jesus uses to separate himself from any and every belief system that is in the world today any and every religion that is in the world today that kind of has this works-based system of do these things and you will find eternal life. Do these things and you will make peace with God. Do these things and you will be brought into the family. You will essentially justify yourself. You will do away with your sins by, uh, by, by doing more good. And what Jesus is saying is none of that matters all that matters in order for you to get to the Father is through the way, the truth, and the life. No one's going to get to him unless you come through me. So Jesus is the first leg. And that's not Jesus saying it as like a threat. Like you, the only way to get to the Father is through me. Like, no, he's saying, I'm the way. I'm the way. It's belief in me. It's trust in me. And that's what we're going to see as the second leg. So the first leg is Jesus. Jesus alone. Nothing else, guys. Jesus alone. So remember that when, when we start thinking about abiding, we can't leave Jesus out of it, okay? We can't move into, let me do for the poor. Let me do for those who are hurting. Let me do these things and not bring Jesus involved into it. Like we can't do Christianity without Jesus. It doesn't work. It's Christianity. It involves Christ in the name. We are little Christ. We are little Christians following him, trusting him. So that's the first leg. The second leg is salvation. Salvation has to happen. This is the way God brings us into this abiding relationship and it's through salvation, which is belief in Jesus. And we talked about this hard on Easter as well as the Sunday following Easter about what it means to believe, what it means to see that Jesus is who he says he is. And that brings us into a knowing, a knowledge of intimacy with him. Pick it up in verse seven after Jesus it says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Verse 7, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else at least believe on account of the works themselves. So there's this relationship between believing that leads to knowing Christ. Jesus keeps asking him the question, do you not believe? Do you not believe that I'm from the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father? Do you not believe that I am who I'm saying I am? Because if you believed, then you would know. And this knowing is the intimacy of a relationship with him. 
this knowing is much more than just mental capacity or, or just a, a, a mental grasp. This is an understanding that leads to an intimate relationship. So he goes on to use this language. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That means whoever has believed Jesus believes in the Father. Whoever is in relationship with Jesus is in relationship with the Father. How do we get to the Father? How do we dwell in his temple? How do we dwell with him in heaven? By dwelling with Jesus, by believing in Jesus, by seeing Jesus is who he says he is. So that's the second leg. We must believe, we must see that Jesus is the son of God, that he lived the perfect life, that he died the death that we deserved because we didn't live the perfect life. And that after he rose three days later, triumphing over sin and death and Satan and evil, he gives us the ability to be able to do the same because we're believing in him, we're trusting in him, we're, 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 we're saved in him and him alone. So he's the way, the truth, and the life. And the way that we come into the abiding relationship is by believing in him, seeing he is who he says he is, and receiving the gift of grace that he gives to us. Those two legs are completely contingent upon Christ. Coming to Christ, seeing that it is him, believing him, trusting in him, having the faith to be able to see him that we know in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is also a grace from God, a grace that is given to us to be able to believe. The third leg, and this is the one we're gonna spend a lot of time on because it does involve us, is the response. The third leg is the response. And this response is not complete abiding yet, okay? This is still foundation. This is still what has to happen in order for abiding to work. And it is a responsibility on our part because of what Christ has done. What we could say the first two legs could really be summed up in is Christ's pursuit of us. John three sixteen that he sent his only son to us, to the world. And then by believing in him is still a pursuit of Christ because it's the grace of salvation that he provides to us. Like Jesus just showing up on the scene isn't going to change anything without him also giving us salvation, without him also going through and doing the good news of the gospel, him living a perfect life, him dying the death, him raising three days after that in order to triumph over those things and to be able to have authority over death, therefore giving us life. Even salvation is a pursuit of Jesus to us. And so those two things are the pursuit of us that gives us the ability to now respond with pursuit back to him. Picking it up in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So now there's this call to action. It first begins with Jesus as the way to dwelling with God. Then moves into asking the question, how do we get there? And Jesus answers by believing, by seeing and knowing me through salvation. And now he says, and whoever believes in me will have some work to do. Whoever believes in me will have some response to do here. So what is the work? What is the response? What connects the third leg to the other two? And it's what Jesus says in John 14, verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now that's a very interesting phrase there. That's a, that's a very interesting, that's kind of another concept to what he's been talking about here. He's been talking about him coming. He's been talking about us believing in him. And then he moves into us now talking about responding with works. So why does he then move into, 
I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to come to you. It's because this identity of changing us from an orphan to an adopted son and daughter in him is what allows us to be able to pursue him. As I talked about on the Sunday after, or it might've been the one on Easter, the one on Easter when we were talking about the courtroom and we were talking about the fact that we're coming into a courtroom and he as the judge is pardoning us, is justifying us of our sins, is declaring us forgiven of our sins. Not only is that a, a, a court case in which we're being acquitted, we're being forgiven of, of what we've done that's wrong, but now he's moving us into, and I think I used acquitted wrong, so I'm sorry about that. But anyways, uh, he's now moving us into... I'm now adopting you. This is a court hearing for adoption. He's moving us into, yes, I'm forgiving you of your sins. I'm declaring you pardoned, but now I'm also bringing you home with me. And because I'm bringing you home with me allows for a relationship to happen in which you have access to now pursue me as a parent. You have access to now ask me whatever you want and I will do it for you. You now have access to keep my commandments because you're in my household. You're in my family. You're now playing by my rules, as a lot of fathers say. As long as you're in my house, you're abiding by my rules. But the reality is his, his commandments aren't begrudging submission. His commandments aren't, I'm bringing you out of, of one liberty of you getting to do whatever you want and now bringing you into, now you got to do whatever I want. But rather, what we get to be led in that God wants for us is the greatest joy that we will ever experience in our entire life. It's not moving us into, ha, I'm moving you out of the world that's fun and now moving into uh, Christian design that's not fun. No, the only reason why we think Christianity is not fun is because we've heard from churches that it's not fun. We've heard from Christians that it's not fun. Which in all of that is just a poor discipleship. It's a poor mentoring. It's a poor message that they've heard. Guys, God's design for society is the greatest thing that will ever come into play. Israel following after the law was meant to be a society that shows what it means to flourish and be an example for societies around them, for people, groups around them, for countries around them and nations around them. They were meant to image who God is and the love that he gives to them and the love that they give to one another so that everyone on the outside looks at them keeping the law and says, we want that, please send it to us as well. Whatever it is that you're abiding in, whatever it is that you're following, whatever it is that you're trusting, we want that as well, so please share it with us. That's why we name our church the district church is because we want to be a community within a city that's marked by the gospel because we want people to see that the gospel changes and transforms a people in the way that they love God and the way that they love one another that is appealing to them because the world's message, the world's society is not working. It's crumbling. It's causing division. It's causing um, angst. It's causing envy. It's causing I want what you have in the sense of I'm going to take it and steal it and rob it from you. And we as the church are meant to live out his design. And so he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm bringing you into this place. And by him adopting us as children means that we receive something that no one else has. This is what he says in Romans 8, 14 through 16. For all who are led by the Spirit of God, and what we mean by led by the Spirit of God are the first two legs. Those who belong to Jesus and have received salvation, what did he say? He's given us a helper. He's given us the Spirit of truth to lead and guide us. That's what he's talking about here. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, to fall back into the world's 
realm as far as what they offer in society is you got to do all these things but because we can't measure up to all those things it creates a fear in us it creates an anxiety I can't measure up I can't be good enough I can't look like the Instagram photos of my friends I can't be the best employee that my other employee is I can't do all these things that the world is putting this pressure on me to do so it creates within me a fear and an anxiety And Jesus is saying, I did not give you a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. And this is the response we have from the spirit by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself also bears witness to our spirit that we are children of God. So there's a couple of things that are happening here in this third leg of the spirit leading us to respond. And one of the ways in which we respond is by crying out, Abba, Father. Now, what that means is there is a delight in us for God. There's a gladness in us for God. There's a crying out of our hearts that I desire you, that I want you, that I want to spend time with you that I want to to enjoy you. I want to be in your presence, Lord. Abba, Father. In this text, that does not mean just daddy. There's no framework for the term daddy in this day and age. This is much more, more, my dad can beat up your dad. This is much more, have you seen who my father is? There is a pride in my father. There is an excitement in my father. There is, as Paul gets to the end of Romans 8, he begins talking about or asking these questions. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? Have you seen who my dad is? You think I'm scared about sword? You think I'm nervous about famine? You think I'm worried about external circumstances? Have you seen who my father is? He's saying, bring on those things. My dad's here to protect me because I have a father in which I delight in. I have a father in which I'm excited to spend time with. So it it produces within us, the spirit that he gives us produces within us a desire to want him because we see who he is. We see who the father is. The second thing it says it does is the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What that also means is that he plants within us a heart that is a desire for obedience to his word, although we know it's going to be imperfectly executed. Keep my commandments because you love me. This is not a keep my commandments and I'll love you. But this is a, because God has pursued us in the first two legs, we now desire to keep his commandments. We now desire to abide by his word. We now have a desire to want to trust him at his word and be obedient to his word, even though we know it's going to be imperfectly executed but there's a desire there. There's a desire to spend time with the Father and there's a desire to trust him at his word and walk in it and to live it out. Guys, the the law is is not what it sounds like, a law. Like it's not that, like there's so many people who say because Jesus came, he's liberated us from the law. Therefore, like there's this, it's antinomianism. It's this idea of we don't have to follow the Old Testament law. Rather, we get to just live in the license of the freedom of God is love. And what Paul says at the end of, end of Romans chapter 3 is should we nullify the law because of God's atonement? He says, absolutely not. Rather, we uphold the law because the law leads us into righteousness. The law leads us into joy. The law protects us. The law shows us how we are to love one another and care for one another. The law shows us how we are to um, steward our resources, steward our finances so that it doesn't create anxieties for us later when we mismanage resources. God's law is good and delightful over us. 
That's why you'll see so many times through the Psalms, David writing about the law, how he delights on it, how he meditates on the law of the Lord, how he's excited about the law of the Lord because it leads him in righteousness. Now, because he also knows that the law is perfect and what it represents as a person, a society, the law can also be daunting on us because we don't measure up. Like when I refer to the law, I'm not just referring to the Ten Commandments. I'm referring to the 613 ordinances that Moses wrote out in the first five books. But just looking at the Ten Commandments, how do you measure up? I mean, have you ever lied? Have you ever looked at someone with lust? Have you ever looked at your neighbors and, and envied what they have? Have you ever simply just put something before God and worshiped it rather than him? Have you ever stolen anything? Even if it's a pencil from a neighbor when you were in third grade. All right, well then we're lying, thieves, adulterers, and idolaters, just in those four examples. The law is beautiful in the sense that it leads us into joy, but the law is also bittersweet in the fact that it leads us into seeing that we need the first and second leg, that we need Jesus that we need salvation, that we need forgiveness. But the beauty is, is now that we've received that forgiveness, now that we've received that opportunity to be adopted into the family of God and that he's forgiven our past, that he's forgiven our present, that he's forgiven our future, like him as an adopted or as our adopted father, is not looking at us at any moment while we're in the family and saying, because you continue to mess up, man, I'm giving you back to the, to the orphanage. Because you continue to, to not abide by my laws or not keep my commandments, I'm just sending you back. I'm, I'm taking you to another house. That's not what happens. That's not what the response of us is. Like, like our response is, Lord, your law is good. Your commandments is good. Your scripture is good. Your book, this, this 66 books here, this is a library, not just a book. 66 books that testify to Jesus is meant to lead us to him, not run from him. And what he's saying is, is because we've been adopted into the family, we now have access to come to the word, see our sin, and in seeing our sin, rather than running to hide from the Father, we get to run to the Father because he's already done the first and two legs. He's already provided Jesus and he's provided forgiveness and therefore he provides unending. Come in. Unending rest, unending peace, unending. Come in, this is a safe place for you. If we don't understand that, we will never want to abide with him. We will never want to go and spend time with him because we think he's upset with us, right? I mean, don't you avoid people that you've wronged? You owe someone money, don't you avoid them? Or you feel like you, you hurt someone's feelings, don't you avoid them as long as you can until it finally has to come together and you have to reconcile? You always avoid people that you're in relational tension with. But the reality is God is saying, because I've adopted you and because I put my spirit within you, there is never any on God's end of it, ill will towards us as children of his. Yes, there's discipline that's involved, but that discipline is to lead us into the joy that he has for us, not to lead us into a holy spanking. We don't have to run from him. We don't have to avoid him. His discipline of us is not like my father's discipline of me when I was a young child and I was just trying to run from him as fast as I could because I knew I was about to get whooped. Like that's not what's going on here. Rather, his discipline is, come here. Come here, look, I, look you know that I love you. You know that I care for you. You know that I've provided forgiveness with you through my son, Jesus Christ. 
And because of that, he's given you his righteousness. I see you as a righteous son and daughter. I see you as perfect. I see you as holy. And I know that I have not yet glorified you in providing a new body for you yet. And I know that there's still going to be times where you fumble through life. I know that there's still going to be times where you struggle, where you sin. But I've, I've created an opportunity for you to come to me and take that sin and ask for forgiveness and I'm lavishing it on you. I'm lavishing my love on you. I'm lavishing my forgiveness on you. And so let's, let's change this. Let's transform this. Let's etch that flesh away and let's continue conforming you to be like my son Jesus. Let's continue transforming your character and your heart and your thoughts and your actions and the way that you steward your finances, the way that you relate to your your significant others, the way that you relate to your children, the way you relate to your friends. Let's continue working on that so that you represent me, glorify me, and in that you receive joy. You receive joy. That's what the discipline looks like is let's keep etching away. Let's keep opening you up like a doctor has to open you up in order to ultimately heal you. It may be painful at first, but it ultimately heals. Those two things, delight in the Lord and a desire to be obedient to his word produce the one simple word, pursuit. The first two legs are God pursuing us. The third leg is us pursuing God. It's us pursuing him. What are the two things that are primarily going to to be involved in that? It's what we read in verses 12 through 17. How many times did he say, ask me and I will give it to you? What is that? What is it? Ask me and I will give it to you. What's What's that process? Prayer. It's simply prayer. So prayer's got to be involved and then keep my commandments. What are his commandments? How do we know what his commandments are? How do we know how to please him? His commandments are the word of God. What he's revealed to us as the written word of God, his design is keeping his commandments. So we know those two things are going to be involved in our pursuit of him. Time with him in prayer, time with him in the word of God. I'm not talking about fruits yet. This is response on our end. Everyone always wants to jump from time, or everyone always wants to jump from salvation to fruit. Guys, this is probably one of the biggest reasons why people get frustrated in Christian discipleship is because we immediately jump to this is what you should look like rather than this is what your response should be first. We immediately jump to this is you should tithe to the church. Uh, you, you should um, have a character that is um, loving and joyful and, and having peace and having patience and having all the, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Self-control. Like we immediately jump to because you've been saved, tomorrow this is the way you should be. And what we leave out in that process is the third leg, which is our pursuit of God that involves prayer and the word of God that allows us to then in the abiding process grow in who Christ is. Guys, if we as Christians are not praying and reading and meditating and studying in the word of God, we will not be conformed to his image. Yes, that is a very works-based sounding statement that I just made. But it is 100% true. It's only true because we have the understanding that he's created the opportunity for us to do this. That he pursued us so that we can now pursue him in joyful submission, in joyful obedience. It's not because we have to, it's because we get to. We get to delight in him by coming to him in prayer. We get to follow him by coming to him in his word and saying, Lord, let me follow you. Let me trust you. Let me see you. First John 3, 21 through 24 puts it this way. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, that's the old self. If our heart does not condemn us because we have this new heart, we have this new heart that he's given us, the spirit that testifies to us. It says we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. That's the pursuit of prayer to him because we keep his commandments and do what he pleases, what pleases him. How do we know what pleases the Lord? We go to his word to see what it is. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. How do we know how to love one another? We see it in his word, just as he has commanded us. It comes from the word of God, the revealed word of God, the holy scriptures. So our pursuit, the third leg is going to involve as a response to God's pursuit of us, us pursuing him in prayer and the word. The fruit's going to be what we cover over the next three months. But today begins with just a simple, guys, I, I want to spend time with him. Because I get to. I, get, I, I see what he's done. And therefore, I want to be with him. I want to be with him. I want to be with him as, as often as I can. Now, I know that there's the busyness of life, right? So what's that going to look like? Some practical things. And these are some things that, that I began kind of woving in, at least for my rhythm on a weekly basis. Because what I hope for us to get to doing, get to being, is abiding in him in our pursuit hourly, daily, weekly, annually. Some of the ways that that, and I'll, I'll flesh this more out over the series, but some of the simple ways that that can be is when it comes to hourly pursuit of him, how often do you pull out that device that's in your pocket? How often do you pull it out? Probably 10, 15, 20 times for some 30, 40, probably. That device can either be a busyness or a distraction that leads you away, or it can be something that we redeem to see him. And so one of the simple practical things that I began doing, it's, I guess it is kind of a flashcard now, um, but my home screen is John 15, 1 right now. I'm the vine and the, the father is the vine dresser. I'm going to see that every time I pull it out, every time I see it. Sometimes I'll mix it up. Instead of having a verse, I'll just put a, a prayer behind it as well. Just so that every time, like literally 10, 15 times an hour as I'm pulling the phone out, as I open it up, I see that. And in that moment, I'm able to tap in and say, yes, you are the vine. You are the vine and the father is the vine dresser. Let me trust in you in this moment. Let me, let me be tapped into the fact that you are who you are. That's hourly ways that we can jump in amidst the busyness, something that we're already doing in a rhythm. Daily, is there, and people call it all kinds of things, quiet times, whatever, but just daily, is there times in which you can pull aside and just say, Lord, I, I want to spend time with you. For some of us type A personalities, that is, I've got to schedule exactly when that time is going to be. And, and, and that is a joy for me to jump in and do it that way. For others, it's, um, hey, I've got 15 minutes here. I've got five minutes here. I've got 10 minutes here. And just in those moments, I'm going to just open up the Bible. And I'm just going to read or I'm going to open up a prayer book and I'm going to pray through a prayer book. Or I'm going to read a devotion or I'm going to do a, a study or something. But we just kind of get to it as we get to it throughout the day. For others, and this one is, is another one for me, I think, especially for those who drive a lot, pray for wherever your destination is. If you're on your way to a meeting, be praying for that person that you're going to meet with. If you're on your way home and you have a spouse, be praying for your spouse before you get to your house. This is time in which we can redeem rather than just listening to whatever radio station or podcast we're jumping onto, but can use in order to pray for where we're going. And what does that also do? It also kind of changes your perspective of when you get there because you're seeing it in the kingdom aspect rather than just a destination to get to, a job to get to. Weekly, 
weekly. There's groups that we have that we're tapping into, that we're loving one another and we're pursuing one another and we're spurring one another on to love and good deeds. And so being involved in groups is helping us to abide in Christ. Weekly coming together for corporate worship is an opportunity for us to come and abide in Christ as we sit under instruction, as we sing praises. There's other things that you could do throughout the week that are, that are just kind of once throughout the week times where you say, maybe if you get a day off, maybe I'm going to take a day off and I'm just going to go and for four hours just be with the Lord. Whatever that might look like for you. Fasting at times can be something that you can do weekly in order to, I wouldn't do it every week consecutively because you'll die, but times that you can incorporate it within your rhythm monthly tithes offerings these are ways in which it's not just something that we just do for the church because it's a good christian thing to do but this is something that we can as we tithe we can pray over those tithes for god to multiply them for his kingdom to go out and advance to reach the lost to advance the mission of the church to share the gospel So rather than those things just being an ongoing recurring thing, let us actually set aside time monthly to pray over those tithes and offerings. Monthly get together as a family and do something that is worshipful with one another. And then you got annually, yearly, like go on vacation. Like take time to rest. Go on conferences. Go, like, go do something that is, that is leading you into a, like a monumental, a milestone moment with the Lord. That kind of allows you, that kind of refreshes you to continue abiding. Abiding. Some of the ways that we want to kind of restructure that as a church and what we do annually is, is obviously there's going to be Easter. That's always kind of a big Sunday. There's um, the anniversary of, of the district church, which will always follow kind of the first week of August. We want those to be moments in which we throw parties that we just celebrate what God has been doing and accomplishing. This is, this is something that as we keep growing as a church that we want to rev up, that we want to amp these times up, that we're like, we can't wait for these moments because we know how exciting they are for us to get together and say, this is what God is accomplishing over the course of a year in a church. This is what it means to work rhythms into abiding in Christ in the pursuit of, of him rather than just thinking that's going to happen by chance because that's not the way that he's worked it out for us he's pursued us so that we pursue him as well and in that it it creates the mutual indwelling relationship in which we get to abide with Christ let's pray Father we love you We are thankful for what you do for us. Um, God, we are so thankful for the first two foundations of abiding that you sent your son Jesus to be the answer, to be the way, the truth, the life, and that he provides access for us to get to you, Father. And that comes through our salvation. It comes through the good news of the gospel the fact that you created a a way for us to be forgiven of our sins and to be atoned for. And in that, Lord, you have created the opportunity. You have planted within us a spirit that does not lead to slavery, to fall back into fear, but rather is a spirit that is crying out, Abba, Father. And we know that this spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so, God, we're, we're children of yours in which we get to now pursue you in relationship. We get to run to you at any moment because you've brought us into your family. God, we get to communicate with you through prayer. We get to read about you in the word that you've brought to us. God, we get to know you intimately. And so, God, we th- we're so thankful for that. Father, the next three months, I'm praying that as we walk through John 15, that it provides 
liberation for us, that it provides freedom for us amidst the busyness, amidst the distractions, amidst the society around us that tells us constantly, that beckons to us, that we need to do this and do that, and we need to be this and be that. But God, would this series allow us to see that what it means to be is simply a child of yours in which we reside and dwell and abide in you and you alone. And that is the defining relationship that then leads us into the way that we relate to the world around us. The way that we pursue the world like you pursued us, the way that we love the world like you loved us, the way that we serve the world like you served us. God, I'm excited for the transformation that, that's going to be had in this in this church. Lord, we love you and we're so thankful for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we lead into a time of communion, um, what better way to celebrate God providing for us an opportunity to be in relationship with him because of him breaking his body and shedding his blood. And so this is an act of us going to say, thank you, Lord, that you did this in order to create the abiding relationship that we have with you. And so as you break the bread, and as you dip it in the juice, remember that he broke his body, that he was tortured, that he was beaten on the cross, and that he ultimately died, shedding his blood to bring us into forgiveness to bring us into relationship with him. Let this be an act of worship to him. Thank you for listening to a sermon from The District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at